Uh, the topic today, the title of my message is this, good news, bad news. Good news, bad news. How many know sometimes people come at you and you're like, I got some good news, I got some bad news, right? If people come at you question, how many of you would choose the good news first? Who would want the good news first? Some of you want, how many want the bad news first and end with the good? Exactly. That's how I am. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Like, give me the, give me the bad news first. I'll get to the good news, right? Uh, but I heard a joke one time, you know, and the, and the joke was, you know, it's that maybe you've heard this. The doctor comes in the office and the patient's like, hey, what's going on? The doctor's like, I got some good news. I got some bad news. And the patient's like, give me the good news first. And the doctor's like, well, they're going to name a disease after you. Like, like you know, like, like, sometimes good news is only because of the bad news. It's like this past Thursday. This past Thursday, Hunter had a really, really hard day. Like, it was, like he was broken down. And the good news was it's because the Packers lost. So that was, was a good, good news. All right. Cheap shots. Okay. All right. Good news, bad news. Like, here's the deal. Sometimes the good news only comes because of the bad news. And that is true of the gospel. Part of the reason why the gospel is so good is because of the bad news. It's, it's actually the bad news uh, that is so bad that makes the good news so good. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to dig into a little bit, all right? And so I, my prayer this morning is that, that God would help reveal this news for us, that it would transform us, that it would change us. Because if we can have the right perspective, I believe it actually will change the way we live, all right? If you got your Bibles, turn with me uh, to First Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1. Uh, as always, if you don't have a Bible, you can always borrow one from one of the table, tables in the back. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Pick it up, take it on your way out the door today. We want you to have a Bible. I think it's really important, all right? Uh, would you stand with me, though, as we're going to read our text here this morning. First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. Again, there's nothing sacred about staying. It's just our tradition, a way to honor and reverence God's word together, all right? So it says, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, if you were here last week, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Uh, before we pray, I actually want you to do something today because I think this is a heart message. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you just place your hands over your hearts? And I want us to pray over our hearts before we start today, God. God, we thank you so much uh, that you, you want to speak to us. Father, you aren't a God who's off distant, wanting, just hoping that we can figure it out on our own. God, you want to speak to our hearts. And so right now, we pause the busyness of life and we say, Spirit, speak to us. God, I'm asking that you would reveal this truth to all of our hearts. God, that I don't convince anyone of anything, but God, that your Holy Spirit reveals it to our hearts. God, transform us today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. How many of you know that there are just people who are not self-aware in this world? You know what I'm saying? 
Like, there's just people like, you, hello, you know. Like, the reality is sometimes we aren't self-aware, right? Like, sometimes we're, it's like the time you get the, the spinach in your tooth, you know, and you're walking around, <laughs> you know. Like, we just don't understand. But it, there are other people that have situations, you know. There's, there's loud talkers, you know. How many know a loud talker? And it's like, can you, can you turn it down a little bit? Like, we're good, you know. Or you ever meet somebody who just has bad breath, but they want to be a close talker? Anybody in those types of people? Like, whew, whew, okay. Or there's sometimes you meet somebody, and they just have a, a smell about them, you know what I'm saying? Like there's just, there's certain people and they don't know it. And you're like, what is, what is that smell? I don't, I don't know what that smell is. Like, you don't know, right? There's just some people that they're, there's, they're not self-aware, you know? We, we struggle with that at times. We're not self-aware, but here's the deal. Paul is completely self-aware, okay? He's completely self-aware. He is completely understanding his situation, you know? In the passage we just read, Paul acknowledges something that you and I, we tend to overlook, and honestly, we try to forget about. And it's the reality that he is a sinner. Paul is a sinner. Paul was broken. Like, none of us like to think that we're bad, you know? I don't like to think, I, I know I'm not, like, perfect, but I'm not, like, horrible. Like, I'm not, like, serial killer level, you know? I'm, like, I'm, I'm pretty good. Like, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I think that's how we think about ourselves. We never like to think that we're, we're bad people. We make mistakes. Like, yeah, I made a mistake, right? I'm not a bad person, you know? Like, with people, I, 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 it was a mistake. Or like, ugh, I made a bad decision, right? But I'm not a bad person, am I? And this is what Paul understands. Because Paul was one of these people who, who really thought he was a good person. If you know the story of Paul, we talked about this before. He was a Pharisee, and Pharisees prided themselves in their ability to be morally pure, to follow the rules, to, to be that good person that everyone would look on the outside and say, wow, that's somebody who's got their stuff together, you know? As a Pharisee, as a Pharisee his entire reputation was built on his ability to stay pure, to look good. But then the gospel got a hold of his heart, right? The gospel got a hold of his heart, and in the gospel, Paul recognized something. He recognized that there is no good news without some bad news. He recognized that the good news is only good because of the bad news. And its goodness is only revealed through his badness, all right? The fact is that we have a problem. You and I fundamentally have a problem, and all of us are aware of this. The problem we have is sin. Sin. Like, we all have a sin issue. Like we don't understand it, we don't get it, but we all have a sin issue. It's not something we necessarily want to talk about. I get it, we don't want to talk about it, but I think it's really important. So here's what I want you to do. I would like you to turn to your neighbor real quick. I want you to tell them, what is the worst sin you've ever committed? I'm just joking, guys. We're not going to do that. That's a horrible idea. We would never do that. <laughs> Some of you are freaking out right there. <laughs> You're like... You're like, they don't know. <laughs> like, okay, we're not going to do that. Okay. All right. <laughs> I have ideas in my mind, and sometimes I wonder, is this going to go over well? That went over really well right there. That was good. I enjoyed that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we all have a sin issue, but here's the deal. If we don't understand sin, then we don't have a need for a Savior. Like, if we don't really grasp the depth of our sin, there is no need for a savior. We don't need a savior, and we don't think this world needs a savior if we don't understand sin, all right? Now, the Bible defines sin in several different ways. It defines it 
uh, predominantly as missing the mark. That's one of the ways that we define sin. Another way is just breaking law, breaking rule, you know, trespassing in some way. Or it's just simply evil or immorality. Those are all different words and meanings behind this. But sin is ultimately saying this. It's saying this to God. I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to do things my way, right? That's what it is. We all, got, we all got kids, you know, you've seen kids, or you talk to a little two-year-old, a three-year-old, right? And like, I want to do it my way. I'm like, okay, fine, right? Some of you have seen pictures of my sweet little girl. How many of you have seen my little girl? Okay, my wife posts a picture just about every day of my sweet little girl. And she's so pretty and she's so cute. She's got all the little cute outfits, all those kind of things. But there is a teenager forming inside of my child right now, okay? She seems so quiet and calm, but this is like, no, okay, right. Right, but, it, but it's more than just saying, I want to do things my way. See, it's a deeper level. It's saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust that you have my best interests in mind. And it's humanity. It's us as a, as a whole saying, God, we don't trust that you have our best interests in mind. And so I'm going to do things my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go my direction, what I think is right. You see, this is how sin began all the way back in Genesis. We're familiar with the story, right? You've heard the story before. God creates the heavens and the earth, right? He creates humanity, and he creates perfect and whole and pure in every way, and there's this sense of just wholeness and just absolute purity there, right? And then sin enters when? When Adam stops trusting God. When he does say, God, I, I know what you said. <laughs> I know that's what you said, but I don't really think that's what's best for me. I think I know better. I'm, I'm going to do things my way, right? And in that moment, sin enters the world, and, and we have been dealing with this ever since. Humanity has been struggling with this idea of sin. You know it. You deal with it in your own life. We wrestle with this idea of sin, this, this pull against. We know what God says, but we tend to do things our way. We want to go our own direction. You feel it like all of us do. And, and if you try to ignore it, you're, you're ignoring one of the most fundamental things that we wrestle with in this world is this tendency toward pulling toward our own direction the bad news though isn't just sin the bad news is what sin produces and that's what we're going to lean into this morning a little bit we're going to look at this story of creation and we're going to understand that sin creates some problems for us it, it creates some issues that that we cannot deal with on our own all right if you got your notes i want you to follow along there might be a few things you want to write, write down today Go on the back side of your notes, but point number one is this. The, the first thing sin does is sin separates. Sin separates. We know this with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, uh, they are in the garden. They are in perfect fellowship with God, perfect union with God, the, the desired relationship. Remember we said in week one of this series, what's the, what are the major themes of the Bible? What? God with us. That's the goal, communion with God, to be with him, and sin immediately separates that. They are put out of God's presence they are separated from God sin separates it's just what it does often we miss why sin is a big deal why is it you know you know why is it a big deal is it because we did something bad is it because we broke God's rule is, is are those the reasons now that's what we do absolutely but the why is so much deeper at its core sin separates us that's what it is we don't want to think about, about the rule as much as we want to think about what is sin producing. It's separating us from God. Some of you may need to write this down. And it's this simple quote that sin isn't rule breaking as much as it's relationship breaking. Sin isn't, sin isn't oh it is rule breaking, 
but it's far more relationship breaking. I want you to think about it with me and my wife for a second, right? In the Lynn's household, between Amber and I, we could have a rule. And we do have a rule. Don't lie to each other, okay? That's a pretty good rule in a marriage, right? But how many know if I break that rule, the relationship is more broken than the rule? You know what I'm saying? The relationship is what challenged, right? Like, sure, I broke a rule. Oh, darn, I broke a rule. No, what's broken is our relationship now. There is a separation that's taken place. And this is what sin produces in our lives. We don't want to think about it. we like, oh, it's no big deal as long as, I, as long as I can just try and avoid a certain things. No, 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 no. When we are in sin, we are creating this separation. That's what sin produces in our life, this separation that we can't overcome, right? Isaiah uh, chapter 59 says this. He says, your iniquities have separated you from God. This is what it does. It produces this separation that we can't overcome. Sin separates us from God, okay? Let's look at number two, though. What else does sin do? Sin does this. It corrodes. Sin corrodes. How many of you remember your first car, your very first car? How many of you remember what your car is? Did anybody have a cool first car? Anybody? A couple of you did. How many had a junky first car? Anybody? That was me right here. Right there. This guy, I had the sweetest car. It was a 1988 Dodge Grand Caravan. It's pretty sweet. I got a picture of, of the Dodge Grand Caravan. This wasn't, this wasn't mine. I found this was a brand new version. See, mine was way better than this. See, mine was a gray like this, and I nicknamed it the Silver Bullet. It was awesome, okay? But my car had something. Maybe your car had this. It had this, this amazing um, rust that formed right over these parts, you know what? And it had rust spots all over. It kind of looked like pimples all over my car, you know? You know what I'm saying? This is what my car looked like, okay? Um, now, the rust... You know what rust does. Rust corrodes. Like there's certain things in life that erode, that tear away things, but, but rust is different. Rust actually destroys the very fabric of what it is. Like it's destroying the metal. It's eating it apart, right? See, that's what sin does. We, we don't like to think about it, but the reality is that sin actually corrodes. It, it destroys the fabric of things. Now, when you're young, and maybe even as young as high school or, and younger than that, it's really easy us for, to think that maybe God's desire is to withhold. You ever thought that when you were younger? Like the, all the fun stuff seems to be sin. God, I'll, I'll, you're withholding stuff from me, right? And I think we can think that. We would never talk about it like that. But that's what we think as kids. You know, like God's trying to withhold things from us. The, the, the good stuff is just on the other side of the line. You see, Adam and Eve, they stepped into this uh, sin moment. And you, what happened immediately their life began to corrode. Think about the story. What happened? Immediately, uh, their pure relationship, remember, they had this pure relationship. Suddenly, they recognized their nakedness, right? Suddenly, that, that purity was lost somehow. And suddenly, this rea relationship with God was, they were trying to hide from God. This relationship has gotten corroded in some way, right? It got worse. And then, when God comes to them, what do they start doing? Everybody pointing fingers. We're just pointing fingers, right? This, this great purity in their relationship corroded completely, but it got even worse because God began to speak about the corrosion that took place, not just in their lives, but the corrosion that took place in our world. And, and the destruction that we see in our world and the anger and the hatred that we see in our world is a result of sin. That's what sin does. It corrodes. We might think, oh, the good stuff. No, 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 no. God isn't trying to, to restrict us. He isn't trying to withhold from us. God is trying to protect us because he understands something that we sometimes forget. Sin fundamentally 
corrodes our lives, right? Now, even though we're mature believers, right, we're also mature in our faith, the reality is sometimes we can still overlook this principle, right? We can say, oh, well, well, I know the bad stuff corrodes. Like, if I have an affair, that's going to be really bad for my marriage. But some of these other things are not that big of a deal. Like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do it, but it's not like it's that big of a deal. But we don't understand how all sin corrodes. This isn't a principle of, like, just a couple of the sins, like the bad ones corrode. No, no every sin corrodes. It corrodes your life. It can corrode a community. It can corrode our world, right? What are some of those things? See, one of the things in the church that we... Uh, we talk about, but we never really seem to change our behavior, is gossip. Oh, we know it's sin. We know it's listed in the sin, but the reality is we spend a lot of time talking about other people instead of talking to them, right? It happens in churches. It happens in your family. You know what it is. You know, when you're this person, you're always talking about that person, but when you're with this person, you're always talking about that person. And God says, that's that sin, that is destructive. You are destroying. You are corroding the very fabric of your family. If we do that as a church, it corrodes us as a church. Sin damages. That's what it does. We have to recognize the damage that sin does. Something like unforgiveness. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But when we have unforgiveness in our heart, we think, oh, they don't deserve our forgiveness. The reality is, you are corroding. Your life is corroding when you hold on to that unforgiveness. You are corroding inside. You are destroying. The very fabric of who you are is being destroyed. That's sin. There's other things like self-righteousness. You, know, you think you're so good. We got our stuff together. I'm so cleaned up and you're messed up, right? right? You don't understand it. You're actually damaging yourself. The sin is corroding your very life. And in America, we don't like to talk about the, one, the sin of gluttony even. Simple things like gluttony, Right? What that excess, what is that doing? God's saying, listen, I'm not trying to withhold. I'm trying to protect you. This sin is actually corroding your very life, right? We look around in our life, and, and you can probably look back into your own history, right? I'm sure all of us can look back at times in our life where we've done something, a mistake we've made, and we said, yep, that messed stuff up. <laughs> and I wish I could go back and change that thing, you know? The older you get, the more you can think back of times like, bang, what was I thinking? <laughs> Why did I do that? That was a dumb decision right? Why? Because sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Sometimes we plant really bad seed in our life, and then we pray for a crop failure. We're like, I'm going to do this, but God, please don't let it result. No, no, no. Sin has consequences. It corrodes. That's just what it does. We understand that. If we miss that fact, then we get off in the wrong direction. But see, this sin isn't just a personal issue. Sin is a corporate issue because your personal sin actually has corporate consequences, the things that we do as individuals actually can do that. Think about even as a nation. As a nation, the, the sins of, of racism or the sins of greed or of hatred. Think about the corrosion that has existed in our culture, in our world because of those corporate sins. Sin is a big deal. It is a problem for every single one of us, all right? Look at, let's look at number three, though. Last thing, sin bankrupts. Sin bankrupts. Sin, sin leaves us spiritually and morally bankrupt. When you look at the Genesis story, you see that the end result is that humanity is put in a position that they can't solve. We're put in a position that we can't do anything about it when you think about the story. What, this is actually the first moment in all of scripture where there is prophecy about this one that someday is going to be needed to save us. This reality that because of sin, we are in a position that we can't save, we can't redeem ourselves, we can't get ourselves out of. Sometimes we think 
and this is just reality, sometimes we think that the bad news is that we're spiritually deficient, right? That we're spiritually deficient. But here's the deal. We are so much worse off than just spiritually deficient, okay? I'm going to get Hunter to come up and help me. Hunter, can you come help me? Give it up for Hunter. Hunter's going to hold a dartboard. Look at it. He's going to be my Vanna White. I hope I don't miss. <laughs> All right. So this is how sometimes we think about sin, okay? We can think about sin this way, like, because the word really, obviously more than any other word, sin, the, the word actually means missing the mark. And so this is what we think of sin. Sin is like, all right, I got a chance, and now I got to try and hit the target, right? This is my goal. I got to hit the board, you know? And so I'm going to try and, yay, I hit the board. I didn't miss the board totally. I didn't hit the bullseye, but we try, okay? This is what we see. Like, sometimes we hit it. No, hang out here for a second, Hunter. I'll tell you what to do, Hunter. You're good. Okay. All right, so sometimes this is what happens. Like, sometimes we, we feel like, oh, we hit the board. Like, yeah, I nailed it this time. And, you know, sometimes in life it's easy, like, should I extort money from someone? This one's a pretty easy one to hit the target with, right? I shouldn't do that, you know? Whatever it is, okay? But then there's, how many of you know there's other issues in life that are a little more subtle and a little more challenging, right? Maybe there's a circumstance or a person you come up against and it's really hard not to speak a certain way to them because they really make you mad, right? It's just some of those things. And so it feels like the board, now you can move Hunter. The board's more, you know, like way over there, you know? And now it's like, okay, now, now we got some effort here. Now, I'm, I got, I'm not going to hit that board, but I sure hope I hit Hunter. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Okay. This is how we view sin, okay? But the reality is, on an ongoing basis, this is the situation we find ourselves in, is we're trying to hit a target, and sometimes we hit it, and sometimes we don't. But in all of sin, when we think about our entire life, the reality is we're trying to hit a target. But it's as if the target is located in China. Okay, that's the reality. It isn't like, if I try harder, I'll hit the target. Like, if, in, and sometimes we think that way, like, oh, I gotta get my stuff together because then I can hit the target. That's fine, but the target's in China. Good luck. Try to hit the target if you'd like. You're not gonna. Like, you, as much as you try, you will never hit the target. And see, this is why God was so frustrated, or Jesus was so frustrated with the Pharisees. Why? Because the Pharisees acted as if, well, if they could just do it right, they just get everything right, they'll nail the target. No, the target is in China. You're not going to hit the target. As much as you try, you are in a position that you don't understand. You are bankrupt. You are literally, you are in a position where no amount of your acts is going to solve the problem. You don't got the money to pay this one back. You can't solve this problem. What does Paul say? Paul writes about this in Romans. Look what it says in Romans chapter uh, 3. It says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. You think you're the one? You're not, okay? Nobody's the one. It goes on in Romans verse 23. It says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us are in the same boat. Some of you have been following Jesus for 50 years. Some of you haven't even started following Jesus. Guess what? You've all fallen short, all of you. All of you need a savior today as much as you did the day you gave your life to Christ. You are no better off apart from Christ. We are all in the same boat. But wait, 
it gets worse, guys. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 2? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's not an issue of like, you're bad. You're bad. No, you're dead. Like the gospel isn't turning bad people to good people. It's turning dead people to alive people. That's what the gospel is. You're dead. Apart from Christ, we're dead. Right? And what does he say? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and flowing, uh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is where we are. It's really bad news, folks. It gets really, really bad for all of us. No matter where you're at, we're all sitting in the same boat. We are doomed, folks. We are doomed. And it's because this is such bad news that the gospel is such good news. Because sin is such a big deal. Because sin is so ugly. Because it's so destructive. And the reality is we don't even fully understand it. Like we can't comprehend what it is that sin is producing in us. But it's because it is so bad that the gospel is good. And so I want to wrap up with our big so what. We always ask the question, so what? What's the point of this thing? Here's the takeaway that I want for every one of you. The ugliness of sin reveals the beauty of the cross. The ugliness of sin reveals the beauty of the cross. For every single one of us, like wherever you're at, like some of you are coming the doors, you're beat up, like you've gone through junk. Like you walk in these doors, you feel like you're carrying heavy stuff. Like I get it, I know what that feels like. To be honest, I walked in the doors with some stuff today. It's the beauty of the cross. It's not our righteousness. It's not our goodness. It isn't. It's the sin, the bad news of the sin is what makes the cross so beautiful. Why do we sing songs about how wonderful the cross is? We need the cross cross of Christ. You know, we wear the cross as jewelry. We wear it as jewelry. We wear these nice little pretty things, things, but that's not what the cross was. The cross wasn't a pretty piece of jewelry. The, the cross was an instrument of death, torture, and humiliation. That's what the cross was. It was meant to degrade. That was its job. It was used by evil men to assert their power through dominance. The cross was the embodiment of mankind's sin in all of its ugly horror. That evil men would come to the point of degrading another human being, nailing him to a cross and letting him just suffocate to death. That's what a cross is. And then Jesus comes. And what does Jesus do? Jesus uses this hideous weapon. He wields this hideous weapon of the cross. But instead of asserting his power through dominance, he asserted his power through submission. Instead of glorifying himself, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Those people didn't hang him on a cross. He said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. That's what he did through the cross. He took all of the ugliness of our sin, the ugliness that sin has produced in the entire world, that it is embodied in that cross. And he said, I'm going to use that weapon and destroy it all to overcome the power of sin 
So no matter what you walked in the door with this morning, no matter what you think you're carrying, listen, the cross stands in power over that thing. He has given you authority over that. This is what it says in Colossians. Colossians chapter uh, 2 says this. We pull that scripture up. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your faith, God made you alive with Christ. He makes us alive, all right? He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. That is the hope, all right? But it goes beyond there. This is the power that isn't just salvation for me. It is salvation for mankind. Because what does he say in, in verse 15? It says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. Listen, these powers and authorities, the powers and authorities of our world that say, I'm going to dominate. I'm in charge. I'm in control from the top down. No, he said, you know what? I'm going to take that whole premise that the world has and I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to take that cross that is meant to show my authority. Instead, I'm going to say, listen, I'm going to submit because my kingdom is not like your kingdom is. We don't dominate. We lay ourselves down. That's what our God is like. And this is why the news is good. Because he's not saying, submit. He's saying, listen, come under me because I want to protect you. Because I love you. I'm willing to lay my life down for you. That's who our God is. He cares about every single one of us that way. This is good news it starts with some really bad news but that's what makes it so good but hear this the good news doesn't start until we end because if we keep thinking that we're the answer that we're the solution that our, our good deeds are going to get the job done then we've missed, we've missed the point completely the good news of the cross is only for those who recognize how bad off they really are. You see, this is what Paul understood. He had lived his whole life trying to be that person, to tidy, and he realized, no, that's not where my hope is. Hope is in Christ. When Jesus talked about this, I, I mentioned this scripture a couple of weeks ago, um, but I didn't dig into it fully. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins talking about the kingdom of God and what is the kingdom look like he said the kingdom is for people like this Matthew says this blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are the poor and I talked about this a couple weeks ago that poor in spirit means you, you recognize your need but I want to read to you something this this word poor is there's a lot more in that word than we recognize the original Greek here's here's a description of this specific use of the word poor it means this that being so poor and so destitute and so unskilled your poverty is so deep and you are so unable that all you can do is beg you don't have the capability to work you don't have the skill to work so you're totally dependent on the gifts of others everything comes to you from an outside source you have no resource no talent no skill no craft no trade nothing typically in the ancient world, it would so humiliate a man to be a beggar that he would crouch, cover his face with a garment, and holding out his hand, ashamed to let even the giver know his identity. That's the word Jesus uses for poor. See, what does it mean? The kingdom of God, the hope of the gospel, is for us when we get to the point where we recognize we need a Savior. 
we, need some, we are not our solution. That we need someone to come and rescue us from this poor state that we are in, as Paul writes. But here's the deal. We can do that initially. Some of us have done that at some point in our life. But if we're not careful as followers of Christ, I don't know, maybe it's two years down the road, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, I don't know. Somewhere along the lines, we can forget about our need. We can begin to think that it's our righteous acts, that we're not like those poor sinners over there. Like we don't, we're not those people, no. But for the grace of God, we are all lost and broken people. He is our only hope. There is no place for arrogance. There is no place for self-righteousness. There is no place for spiritual superiority in the kingdom of God. There is only one person invited into the kingdom of God, and it's those who are grateful and humble hearts who respond to Jesus by laying themselves down in total surrender. That's the only place that we have. That we would look and say, God, I, I desperately need you. I'm grateful for what you have done in my heart. My prayer for us as a church is that what we look like that's what we look like. That when somebody walks in these doors, we would never look at them and say, oof, oof, man, they're so far gone. We would never walk down. You know people like that. You look at their lives and you see the situation that they're in and you say, oh, man, they're, it's going to take a big work for them to get saved. Guess what? It took a big work for you to get saved. Just be real. Like it might, yeah, it took a big work. It's going to take a big work for you too. It takes a big work for all of us because we're all in the same boat. Maybe we have hearts of humility to say, God, would it, would it well up in gratefulness to what he's done for us? The ugliness of sin reveals the beauty of the cross. Would you pray with me? God, we don't come to you with our pomp and circumstance and try to make a big deal about something. We just come to you as, as people who are desperately in need of you. The bad news is we find ourselves in a position that we can't rescue ourselves from, which makes your good news so good to us, Lord. That humanity finds itself in a place that they cannot rescue themselves out of, but the good news is you have come to establish your kingdom, to assort your authority, to rescue us from the, the pain of darkness, the pain of sin in this world. We thank you for that, Lord. God, I pray that you would help every single one of us, that we would not treat sin casually, that we would treat it lightly, but we would recognize the destructive nature of sin in our lives, that it isn't a matter of trying to avoid some bad things because we don't want to make you mad, but instead we want to live in the fullness of what you'd have made available to us, that we would live free of sin that is there to separate and to corrode and to leave us bankrupt. Instead, we would pursue relationship with you to know you more and more and more, God. And God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times in, in any of us where we've ever gotten to a place of arrogance, of thinking that we have, have the strength, that we have the ability, that it's all on us. Instead, God, I pray that we would have hearts that are utterly dependent on you, God, trusting in your grace. Jesus.